आई वी एम On this episode of Paisa Paisa, I speak with Rohit Shivastav of IndiaCharts.com. We are going to talk about technical analysis and a whole lot of other things like economic cycles and the various seasons they go through. Because guess what, Rohit thinks that winter is coming. Yes, and how you can protect your portfolio from that winter. We are going to talk about all of that on this episode of Paisa Paisa. Advertising is dead. Yep, you heard me right. Advertising is dead. We're all in the content business now. Let's not call it news, TV, radio, etc., etc. It's all content, and we're in the middle of this weirdly exciting phase where all the borders and lines that have been drawn over decades has been swept away by this lovely thing called the internet. We're a show where we don't dwell on just the stuff that is now, but rather the wider stuff about advertising, media, content, and the whole goddamn circus surrounding it. Tune in every Tuesday for our weekly unboxing of the mystery box we used to call advertising. I'm Varun Dugirala, co-founder and content chief at The Glitch, and this is my new podcast, Advertising is Dead. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and this is going to be a really, really interesting recording today, an interesting episode for all of you because we are going to talk about technical analysts. Okay, and that's actually the guest that I've got. I think you know technical analysis is really a small term for that because he's got a much wider body of knowledge. Of which technical answers is only a small part. My guest today, very interesting individual who came to me as a recommendation from a Twitter user. My guest today is Rohit Shivastav, founder of IndiaCharts.com. Rohit, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out for our listeners. First of all, I मुझे ये कहानी मालूम करनी कि आपको ये domain कहाँ से मिला? IndiaCharts.com is such a nice sounding thing. Tell us something about yourself, your background, and finally IndiaCharts.com. great so thank you for having me here first of all and india charts so there has an its own very very interesting story and for everyone who's you know been around uh, for this entire time period we've seen media shift from you know the classical uh, print and visual media to uh, what has become online so it was a very natural progression i had an interest in you know programming way back when i was in my school days my interest in the markets actually started once i was in college because i chose commerce and then i decided to read the business pages and there there were stock prices and then i wanted to know how they were going to move up and down so the so it was a learning program where i you know picked up on everything from reading a balance sheet uh, to looking at prices noting them down every week and then trying to predict what was going on and so that that eventually led to my knowledge really growing all the way from the early from 1990 i would say uh till 2000 and one was a long 10 year learning phase where i started out with basic technical analysis balance sheet reading and ended up with doing elite wave analysis and then of course naturally i wanted to share it and in the year 2000 when domain names became popular i thought i should start writing and i came across okay this part nobody would know i came across a site called asiacharts.com okay ah, and it's no more around because i just went and searched for it yesterday and uh he is there on probably facebook uh, but uh, the person doesn't write that page anymore and asia charts came across to me as a very very interesting uh, name and he used to update his views every week and i picked up on why not india charts 
and so I wrote it on Yahoo GeoCities mm. to start with because the uh, India Charts domain name was not available. Our listeners won't even know what GeoCities. <laughs> long time yeah. back, man. Long time back. Those were the free pages. Yeah, if you yeah, didn't have a page, you wrote on GeoCities, and because <laughs> everybody had squatted the domain names yeah. into in the tech bubble. Obviously, you know. So 2003, I waited. I just saw that the India Charts domain name will become available in 2003. By that time, tech bubble gone. Nobody wanted anything, <laughs> and it was there for free. So I just took it. Uh, registered it and it's fine since fantastic with <laughs> what is technical analysis here you know because whenever the general perception even me included okay because i'm just not from that background uh, when i when someone says technical analysis the general perception or general visual image that comes to me is this guy sitting on a computer or a laptop and all he's doing is looking at charts and doing funky stuff like rsi macd doji harami patterns i don't know just this it's mind boggling number of things but the basic thing is just analyzing price movements in a day or over a period of time to make some kind of prediction that's all i know about technical analysis when i went to your website my god it's much deeper than that okay so let's start this episode with a general background to technical analysis and you know traders don't look at fundamental data they just look at prices let's start from there what how would you explain technical analysis to our listeners so you're right in the sense that most technical analysts essentially looking at price they are often recommended to only look at price and not even look at news okay and this is how most of them start out so they only want to look at charts they feel that uh, news has no role to play the history of technical analysis goes back all the way to probably the you know 1880 or when the dow index came into introduction and so the father of technical analysis is often called charles dow uh, with his dow theory although charting itself may be much more aged than that because you even find japanese candlestick patterns going way back uh, centuries so but it came to the public light in the form of an educative science that could actually forecast markets and with the introduction of indices people started to study price patterns much more clearly now dow theory had two simple components that i think every trader uses one is uh, just the direction of price so it tells you trend they simply say that if you have a price makes a higher top and then makes a higher bottom and then still goes makes another higher top then it's a trend on the way up so if it makes two higher highs it's an uptrend if it makes two lower lows it's a downtrend and that simple theory became a means of forecasting where prices were headed the problem with this was that it could end up being very short term so if you were trying to do a very long term forecast of where stocks are headed you would end up taking a long term chart and by the time you made a higher high you probably have missed the large part of the move and so that problem would not get solved in this basic theory the second theory that came into place because of uh, charles dow and his basic technique was he created a couple of indices like the dow industrials and the dow transports and he said that if the dow industrials is making new highs which is not confirmed by the transports then the trend up is not confirmed and it might be a false move similarly on the way down now this very basic thought process has led to the use of multiple technical indicators some of them statistical with the same theory we call them divergences whenever there's a divergence between one part of the market and the other we start doubting if we, even if it's between price and an indicator we start doubting so this these two concepts have been ex- explored in various formats through the use of various statistical tools now the question is can it only be a short term tool or a long term tool okay so the original theory definitely was a short term tool because like i said if if you applied to the long term then you would have to really wait for a large price move uh, that got sorted only with the introduction of what we could discuss in more 
detail something called the Elliott wave theory. Mm, exactly, yeah. So Elliott wave theory is based on R.N. Elliott's or Ralph Nelson Elliott's uh, thought process when he looked at a lot of stock prices and he was actually ill when he was doing this. He was an accountant who came to the US and you know, started to look at prices and he found these patterns. These patterns later published, they were then explored by Robert Prechter, who's written the Elliott Wave Principle, which has essentially become the book from which all of us uh, pick up and learn the Elliott Wave Theory. Now, this science, beyond being simply a price-based science, has actually become known for being a behavioral science, which means we study... Wow patterns of mass behavior, which is what we know stock prices are that, you know, you initially some people buy and then it becomes a crowd and everybody's buying and then it peaks. And we know that we want to tell when stocks will top or bottom based on this herding behavior that if everybody's buying, you should not be doing that. And if everybody's selling, you should not be doing that. But how do you really know when everybody's participating and you've reached that peak point, not just in the short term, but in the medium term, long term, monthly, weekly, quarterly, yearly, whatever the time frame. Sure. And that is where this behavioral study studies this mass behavior. And he came up with a pattern which we call a fractal of the market that repeats over and over again, no matter which time frame you use. But it requires you to work every day to map it uh, on a daily basis. And that's become the forecasting tool that allows you to not only look at the short term, but also the long term. Mm. Man, that is a lot to process. Okay, so Rohit, what I've understood so far from what you're saying is that a stock price is kind of a proxy or kind of an indicator of behavioral science. That's okay? right. The, or the way that a person looks at a certain stock. For me, for example, I would look at Bajaj Finance as a stock that has just gone on and on and on and on as going up. And if I were to look just at the stock price, that is actually investors' behavior. They believe that Bajaj Finance probably has a fantastic future and they're keeping on buying. Because they keep on buying, the stock price will go up. Have I understood that broadly, right? Yes. Okay. So, given that it is a behavioral science, I'm sure, you know, do, do, do you think it extends itself? Technical analysis actually extends itself into making a long-term judgment on economic cycles because, you know, a GDP growth number, 7%, 8%, and we've got enough series over the past, whatever, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and that's not just for India, but in the US, they have an even longer cycle of economic data. Do you think that, you know, a technical analysis can actually be used into making a long-term judgment of the business cycle while investing in stocks and choosing the right time to enter exit? And that, that would be great for me, right? If I can use technical analysis to figure out when the economic cycle is turning up or down, and then choose the right stocks. Is that possible? So I think uh, that just hits the nail on the head in terms of what I've been trying to build upon in terms of the models that would allow you to do that. I think when I joined, in fact, in my early days, as in when I saw research, research was mostly buy and hold. Uh, but I came across a very, very interesting feature when I joined Sher Khan for the first time. And that was the entire research had been mapped based on behavior. I'm not sure they realized it, but it helped me a lot in putting together the Elliott Wave model along with the business cycle model. Hmm. The way they had actually called each of their stock sets, they had actually called it Vulture's Picks. They had called it Evergreen. So uh. there was this list of evergreen stocks. Uh, uh. Then they had these, uh, <laughs> you know, stars, you know, emerging stars. Oh, yeah. Well, if 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 I've got it right, Evergreen would be the Hindustan lever than the Nestle's. Perfect. Okay, Vultures would be maybe a small cap mid-cap stock. Perfect. Okay, and if, if, okay, I, I get your drift. Go on. Sorry for interrupting. And that just threw light on the entire process. Because when you actually pick up Elliott Wave Principle, uh, I think he gives you the entire theoretical backdrop of how things should go. 
but they don't really explain it in great detail. So you have to apply your mind. I think in chapter two, they have a little chart which explains what we call the five wave structure. So any big trend moves in five waves. But what happens during that trend, they explain the psychology of that entire move. Okay, so when you move in the first wave, you're essentially starting from a point where you're in value, okay, or where news is really, really bad. And then you have and the markets move up and then they react sharply uh, to possibly a higher bottom. But sometimes on news that is bad or even worse than it was actu- at the actual bottom. Okay. okay. So this was the basic premise. And then things pick up from there where you have a long growth phase. People start accepting that, yes, actually things have changed. Now you put that in perspective with the business cycle. You go through the value phase, right? Every stock reaches a point where uh, they are a value stock. Okay. Everybody wants to pick them, but nobody knows when the value stock is going to become a growth stock. Yeah. Okay. So that's the long waiting phase. We in Elliott wave sense, we would call that wave one and wave two. And then you have growth phase. Okay, so growth is obvious. Earnings are growing. Everybody recognizes it. You have a third wave. Mm-hmm. So that's what I call the third wave of Elliott wave analysis coincides with the growth wave of a stock. Mm. And then you have a fourth wave correction. It's usually called the unexpected correction, uh, a long consolidation. People are confused why it happened. And then you have a fifth wave. And the great thing about fifth wave is somewhere it diverges from what happened in the third. In the third wave, the company becomes well-recognized and widely known. But when it reaches the fifth, it's actually growing at a slower pace than it has done in the third. And this is the same thing that happens with economies as well. So when we look at Japan, okay, and uh, Robert Prechter put it out in his book, Conquer the Crash, he showed that the growth rate for Japan actually slowed down throughout the 90s before they went through their peak versus what it was in the previous decade. So there was a huge slowdown in GDP growth even though their stock prices were racing to, you know, all-time records. Ah, I remember that. So, the 80s were the boom time for Japan, right? Correct. I mean, I, there's this fantastic quote that people keep on saying, right? Which is that the American embassy in Tokyo was more valuable than the entire Manhattan. I might have got the specific locations wrong, but <laughs> is that an anecdote that you keep on hearing? Yes. From, from so, that time, yeah. So, now putting that in a stock perspective, they call their stocks evergreen, like you said, the Hindustan levers of the world. Uh-huh. You go to 1999, Hindustan lever was growing, high valuations, slow growth, but everybody preferred it as a safe haven, right? But what happened after 2000 and 2001? The stock didn't perform for almost 10, 15 years yeah, before it right. started to that's perform right. again. Yeah, yeah. That endpoint could be seen, uh, you know, coming. Now, is there any stock like that in the current environment? And I've been writing about it, so I will make a mention. Please. Though it should not be considered as a recommendation. Or okay. investment advice. Or, or investment advice. Yeah, of course. Disclaimer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if we look at Infosys, mm. the high growth stock of uh, the tech boom, earnings are growing at 100% to later 70%. Once the tech bubble peaked, earnings growth came down to 50%. You come to 2008, it has dropped to 25%. You come today, for the last five years, earnings growth for Infosys has dropped to single digits. Mm. It is still close to all-time highs. Mm. This is a slowing growth rate in a high-value stock. This is what we call evergreen. People call Infosys a defensive stock and I say that means it is a fifth wave, late stages growth cycle. It will have to reinvent itself to continue to grow from here. So this is how, th- so this is putting it in very current context. Yeah. You know, and so if you go back in history, you'll find many such examples. Rohit, that's fascinating. Okay, so we're going to take a small break out here because I want to get into the economic cycle more. You spoke about, you gave some really good example of Hindustan Lever and Infosys. I want to get into the meat of the economic cycle that is behind this, right? And Infosys has slowed down, one, obviously because of its size. Okay, but there's also an engine of growth, which are its clients, the business that it's giving. And that's a totally different story. So I want to get into that meat in the second part uh, of uh, this episode. Folks, don't go anywhere. This is really a seriously cool discussion on technical analysis. My guest is Rohit of IndiaCharts.com. 
Now we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another awesome week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you're not following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, just a reminder, please do make sure that if you're listening to something that you enjoy, take a screenshot of that, tag us on one of our social media handles, and we'll retweet you or share you or I don't know, whatever works in the different handles, right? On Cyrus Says this week, Cyrus is joined by Shristi Arya, Director of International Originals at Netflix India. They talk about the upcoming slate of original Indian movies on Netflix and also touch upon the online streaming wars. On Agla Station Adulthood, hosts Ayushi and Ratasha are joined by the cast of Dice Media Show Adulting and they share some stories about growing up. On the Filter Coffee podcast, Karthik is joined by Pradeep Narayan, Research Director at Praxis Institute of Participatory Practices. Pradeep breaks down the prevalence and evils of caste in India today. On a simplified shorty, Chuck and Shrika talk about Pablo Escobar, hippos and cocaine, and the bizarre legacy that connects the three. You don't want to miss this. You can also listen to Chuck on his short solo podcast, The Origin of Things, where he narrates the story about a Hungarian immigrant and yellow journalism, which led to one of the most prestigious accolades of modern history. It's a crossover episode on the Empowering series as Zarina is joined by the host of The Habit Coach, Ashton Doctor, and his dad, Wispy Doctor, to talk about the idea of starting Awesome 180. And on Ashton's own show, The Habit Coach, he shares six foundational habits for an awesome life. On Football Should Ball, host Gaurav Karthik and Suha bring to you a special episode where they talk about the greatest brawls in football. On Varta Lab, host Akash and Naveen are joined by rapper Onkar Pujari, who goes by the stage name Yeda Anna. The three of them talk about Onkar's journey in the Indian rap scene. On Geek Fruit, Tejas and Zinkar take a look at actors who moonlight as musicians and draw the distinction between vanity projects and music that endures. On Golgappa, Tripti is joined by Deepika Matre, who shares the story of her rollercoaster ride from being a house elf to a jewelry seller to doing stand-up comedy. Also, if you are in control of a brand and you want your brand to have their promos read on our podcast network, do get in touch with us. You can write to us on advertisers at indusbox.com. And with that, let's get you onto your show. And welcome back to Pesa Pesa. This special episode on technical analysis with my guest, Rohit Shivasov of IndiaCharts.com. In the first part of this recording, we spoke about what is technical analysis, the kind of stuff it looks at and how you can actually use stuff from there to predict economic cycles. We're going to get really, really deep into that second aspect of economic cycles later on on this side of this episode. I just have one question, Rohit, before we get into that part, which is, there is this, you know, I don't know whether to call it a dharam youth. Okay. I'm a long-term investor. You know, I'm a long-term investor. I don't even believe in technical analysis. What is technical analysis? You just look at price charts. How can you ignore things like valuation? Yeah, come on. You have a Bajaj Finance sitting at 9 times 6, whatever, 6, 7, 8, 9 times book, one year forward, and you're still saying it's a buy just because your chart says that. On the other hand, I'm a technical analyst, and I say, listen, I'm just following the trend. Okay, trend is your friend. This I keep right. on, it just, yes. I, it just blows my mind. Trend <laughs> is your friend till it ends. Boss, what is trend is your friend till it ends? When I stock harita again, then suddenly you tell me it ends. I want you to tell me the fine balance here. Okay, How can, for example, a long-term investor actually use technical analysis to give you the right entry and exit point. And if at all, okay, I don't know if there's maybe something that technical analysis can learn from long-term investing. I know that this is one entire, see, it's one picture. Okay, explain this to us. Yes, so while money-making is the center of it, uh, just to add a joke to it, most people who come to the market and say we are long-term investors want to get out in one year. So, that's the, <laughs> okay. so the whole definition of long-term then goes for a toss. But what it should ideally mean is that you're thinking about a 5 or maybe in a 10-year time horizon. And during that phase, long-term thinking that 
tries to overlook near term technicals is to some extent logical meaning that you had a long bull market say through the 80s till 1992 into the harshad mehta boom and then you had this long bull market starting 2001 some will say going on till now maybe 2017 18 19 wherever the peak occurs and when you have these 10 15 20 year cycles of boom then should you really panic and sell every time the market falls 50% because even between 1980 and 1992 you had at least two or three sharp corrections which pulled back you know 40 to 50% in terms of the index mm. but stocks continued to do well so why should we really get out we should simply hold on true however at the end of these cycles when you reach 1992 or you reach some other phase you do go through a complete reset as far as the stocks and valuations are concerned it happens once and again and then people start reading books like uh, it counts when you sell by donald cassidy a mm. book that i actually recommend and i read in you know way back in 1992 93 and it gives you a whole lot of pointers as to how you should come to a decision whether you should get in and get out purely not based on charts but gives you pointers how you should know that people around you are buying stocks and you know it's getting too heavy and you should get out are you feeling too happy about your investments then you should book out and so on and so forth mm. so there is an importance of getting out i'm sure people are feeling that pinch today because after 2 to 3 years of selling in stocks the index has continued to fool you at the top end because all the money chased up the last 10 stocks in the market correct and so people are losing money irrespective of whether they are in sips but they got convinced to invest for the next 5 to 10 years based on the savings they had actually done during the last 15 to 20 years of boom phase so they may have been late in doing so but they now see the importance of having this big macro picture so mm. the question is can you really do that by combining the use of technicals with fundamentals and i think to that extent the answer is yes i've already put out a model but even uh, people who are not looking at models if they are simply using some kind of a long term average you know looking at a quarterly chart or some higher time frame and watching price they will get fair enough indications when to enter when to exit on their even long term holdings and if they keep some data sheet of simple pointers like i said earlier earnings growth i mean if you're investing in a stock for 15 20 years do you have 15 20 years of earnings growth of that stock mm. you know most people would not but if you do then you would get a fair idea of what is really happening uh, you know under the under the belt sure now let's get into the uh, i don't want to call it the hairy part the controversial part or whatever it is right because i want to know how technical analysis helps in the economic cycle and on your website there's a very interesting pdf okay which is available for every, everyone to read yes it's got this very how do you pronounce this guy's name kondratif right okay okay <laughs> this theory that you've got about and you actually spoke about it in the first part of this recording where economic cycles also follow a certain cycle that's right india is at a very interesting point of the cycle okay yes. first i wanted to give us a framework of your thinking what is a construct where where did the cycle start where is it today where do you see it going forward okay right. and then i'm going to end this episode with practical advice Application. applications to our listeners which is going to be your views on gold and dollar of all <laughs> the things okay i thought you'll tell our listeners to buy three stocks, buy stocks to double okay but no okay chalo no problem let's start with the economic cycle part so the name comes from a russian economist nikolai kondratiev unfortunately his uh, theory that he put out was considered capitalist in a communist state and so he was sent to siberia and was no more but his theory got picked up and he wrote and it's also called the long wave so if people are searching for it online they can either search for the long wave or they can search for the kondratiev wave and what he tried to explain is that 
economies go through a cycle which lasts for 50 years. Now, one of the criticisms that this theory gets is this time criticism. In my study, it's not got to do with 50 years because as longevity of you know mankind has improved uh, due to uh, medical progress, the time cycle also has changed. So it might not be 50 years, but what he put out very clearly was a series of events that take place in an economy, one after the other, and he labeled them into seasons. So right from the birth of an economy to the end cycle and then the rebirth and the recycle. And so that process continues on and off. And so he goes from starting with spring, which is basically the birth of the economy. It starts from, you know, the bottom base level. And at that point of time, you'll find that, you know, GDP has contracted and you have, you know, uh, debt ratios actually coming down. And, they, and the economy starts to improve for some reason. It could be purely behavioral, like we, uh, like I say, or it could be the government intervening by spending money and trying to get growth back, as we would have seen, say, in 1940s in the US, where, you know, through the world wars, they were spending a lot of money and growth re- really picked up again. Mm. That phase lasts the longest. It can last for 20, 30 years, uh, the economic spring. And that spring, eventually, le- that high phase of growth leads to high interest rates and inflation. And that's where we hit the summer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the high interest rates and high inflation—something that we saw in India through the '90s—that uh, a lot of people, especially the young crowd, uh, would not even remember or associate with. But by 1995-96, we know we've seen interest rates of banks being offered at 15% per yeah, annum, yeah. ads saying double your money in four years, yeah, yeah, of course <laughs> and from banks, not yeah. even NBFCs. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. NBFCs are running at 22%. You know, pushing if he out. had got those <laughs> schemes right now, believe me, the market would be at a different level. So, still, and you had inflation running at very high levels hmm. also. The cost of living, I think, almost doubled or tripled in that uh, late phase period. So, this is what typically happens that a long period of growth ends in high inflation and high interest rates. And then eventually that inflation and interest rates cool down. You know, they come under control. And then you start another boom cycle, which is known as the autumn, typically happens in a low inflation, low interest rate environment and ends in a bubble in consumption and high levels of debt. So a lot of borrowing happens, a lot of consumption happens, it goes on and goes on and goes on till it exhausts itself. Probably 2003, 2008 for us? All the way till now, you could say, because the consumption theme has picked up and continued. So I would have thought it should have ended by by 2012-13, but it actually continued because we continued to stimulate either by government raising salaries for the public sector employees or by doing MSP. So they kept taking these steps which uh, stimulated the economy over and over again. And therefore, the consumption cycle itself continued all the way till now. Correct. It's only now that we are now seeing a very clear contraction, especially in the auto sector, uh, where we can see this weakness. But I started to write about this cycle and put it in context of India Hmm. uh, in 2011. Hmm. And from there on, uh, what I highlighted is that you're entering a phase where debt is going to become the issue. Okay. And the reason is that what follows an autumn cycle is the winter. Right. And winter is where you reset all the excesses that you've done over this last uh, 50 to 70 years. And then you can restart. It's not, so, it's not sounding good. It you're, doesn't sound you're good. You're going into Game of Thrones territory. Winter is coming, winter <laughs> is coming and all that. Yeah. Oh, we'll take the bad news. Come on, tell us, tell us. Tell us. So for a long time, it would have looked like I'm, you know, just... Uh, screaming out of my hat. Uh, But now I think in the last five years, starting with the NPA crisis, the ILFS crisis, uh, which is the NBFCs, and now spreading to actual growth, I think it's sort of coming true, uh, whatever I I had been thinking. And once this is done, and so it doesn't have to end as badly as we think, okay, uh, it ends in two ways. One is either you get a long consolidation. Now you're talking about the future. Yeah. What lies ahead? Yes. Tell us. And or 
it can end also in a very sharp and one-time correction. So the US went through this between 1930 and 32 in terms of stock prices. And in two years, it was done because they just let whatever was bad get out of the system mm-hmm. and then they stimulated again. So that's the that's in the hand of the government. I think even from this budget onwards, the expectation was that the government would step in and start spending. Correct. But what they couldn't do because they they have the handicap of previous fiscal deficits, a lot of below the nine numbers that they couldn't really, they had not really admitted to hmm. that they couldn't do it right away. Mm-hmm. The day they start doing that, we have a solution. But we are not there yet. And at, in the meantime, we need to sort out the banking, uh, clean up the banking balance sheets as well because they need to be in a situation to be able to lend all over again. Sure. Okay. So now what? In the sense that now that you've told us about what lies ahead, it, you know, it is bad news, but bad news also ends, like you said. What should our listeners do? You've got this very different take for two asset classes that I think a lot of us actually don't have at all. Gold and dollar. Okay, so walk us through this last part of of, of our recording today. So I'll walk it this way that we should think about it in terms of asset allocation. And when you hear my entire story on what happens in each of the seasons, you will note that when we are in the spring phase, you actually end in a period of growth, high interest rates and high inflation, which means that if interest rates are actually going up, the bond prices were going down. Okay, so that was not a phase where you'd want to be long bonds and long equities. And so you'd be long equities, but not long bonds. So a lot of people relate that with interest rates go up is not good for stocks. And at the same time, you find this phase, which is the autumn last eight years of bull market, you find interest rates are going down Mm. and stocks are going up, which means bonds and equity are going up together. So it's a very different phenomenon. So it makes your choice of asset classes becomes very, very different. It is, right? Because you, I I think we've seen what at least, I don't know, 50, 100 basis points correction in the yields. I think yields have gone from 7, the the 10-year bonds actually, sorry. It's from 7.3, 7.4 to about 6.5 or something of that sort. And stocks have gone down. Tell us more about that. So the big shift between the autumn and the winter cycle is when you start getting outperformance in gold uh, or currencies relative to the uh, equities. Okay. This also happens during the summer phase, which means the 1990s. So I have these charts plotted when I write my winter reports. I've put two or three charts there. They're very simple. It's like you put Sensex relative to the dollar. You put Sensex relative to gold. Okay, and you put Sensex relative to inflation. So mm-hmm. these are three different measures. You will find from 1992 to 2001, it underperformed all of the on all three grounds. Okay, the same has also started to happen now from 2008 onwards. Which okay. means if you divide, if you put a Sensex relative to gold chart, you will find the all-time high was already made in 2008. We did not make a new high in 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so gold actually did better, but mm-hmm. we don't realize that. Same with inflation adjusted. We've actually not been able to beat inflation, even though equities are supposed to. And I'm talking at an index level. Of course, there may have been stocks that have done well. Yeah, we're talking only for index level. Sure. So all these are indications of you entering the winter cycle. When you start underperforming, which means you don't have the capacity to grow Hmm. at a rate higher than inflation in the economy, despite the stimulants that you're giving it. Okay. So that's the intellectual framework. That's the intellectual framework. So now if you're outperforming, if you're underperforming gold, okay, gold is not only a standalone asset but it also reflects your currency sure and which is where the dollar comes into play okay okay so you are today in an environment where the dollar is getting stronger against most other currencies around the world even mm. in fact today the dxy or the dollar index is at a 52 week high right after the fed meet wow okay, okay. Yeah. and people don't realize that and it's happening because countries around the world are trying to stimulate the economies by cutting interest rates so all their currencies are weakening 
okay and the which dollar is, is gaining and the dollar is gaining yeah. so that's one effect what happens when the dollar goes up it pushes up the price of gold okay Correct. so that's the direct side effect so one of the proxies of having dollars is gold okay so you want to be in one of these asset classes when equities are not performing so well sure okay because they actually protect you from uh, currency devaluations that can happen at a time when uh, the economy requires stimulation okay mm. which means they're going to print more money in some way whether it'll be through spending uh, or whether it'll be through uh, direct bailouts or you know we don't know what they're going to do and that impact will show up in your currency markets and gold markets that tend to do much better sure. so that's the option that uh, people should consider having a larger allocation towards any uh, any specific model that you've got xx percent in gold so much percent in dollar or anything of that sort do you have i mean so i have not given it a thought in terms of a percentage model though that's what most people would say in fact in 2008 couple of funds like equity master and others came out with this 10% 15% allocated gold funds mm-hmm. within their mutual mm-hmm. fund and that was getting popular then eventually markets picked up so people have stopped looking at it again sure. but should it be 5% should it be 20% the way i always think of it is i look for ideas that can do well and i allocate mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter to me whether my equity allocation is high whether my gold allocation is high if today i don't like equities i'd rather be in gold and dollars Okay. So the percentage allocation is really a personal risk choice, but I wouldn't see too much risk. So I would have a, an over allocation, which sure. might, might not be normal for everybody. And you can't you have know, a standard so. measure for everyone, which in fact gets me to the last part, right? So where do our listeners go to find out more about you? There's obviously the website IndiaCharts.com. What can we find out there? Okay, so uh, before I get to that, I, I think Sorry, one please, thing yeah. one thing that I should I should uh, further add, and this is a question that comes up: How do we really get into dollar and gold? I think uh, how do you really take an asset so allocation? Gold mutual fund, hai, gold ETF, hai, gold sovereign bond. Hai. Yes, and of course, there's physical gold. My personal favorite. I love yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Indians have always allocated to physical gold, which is true. Uh, but what they may not know. is that there are some other ways of course the sovereign bond, the bonds the gold bonds that the government has been issuing is one of the best instruments i think that has come up which was not there earlier but here's the funny part nobody is buying them yeah i know we tried yeah, marketing yeah, yeah. them 2 years ago and nobody nobody is interested it's just not sexy <laughs> enough people actually want physical gold ETFs have been a dud from what I from ETFs what, are bad because of the cost structure. Yeah, yeah, okay yeah, and yeah. they actually hit you those are some of them say we've improved it but that yeah, is why i would yeah. not go with it But gold bonds are actually a better way of holding it than buying physical because how much physical can you keep yes, at home? Now there are so many restrictions. You can't keep so much at home. You should not have this. All those and came after demonetization. In, yeah, and and sovereign bonds are in demat. Sovereign bonds are in demat. Yeah. There are no tax instrument if you hold it for seven years till maturity. They pay you two percent every year. Irrespective of where gold prices go, <laughs> irrespective of what yeah, gold prices bad. do, okay, yeah. so you don't have to hold it. There's another way which people might not know, and I've uh, researched it, and it has to do with uh, Paytm gold. and few people know about it because it's not really been uh, marketed so aggressively in my understanding and what ptm gold allows you to do is that you can invest either 25000 or lots of that uh, and the amount that you invest you can, you get it back after 5 years or you can withdraw at any point of time the advantage is that you actually end up holding physical gold in their account uh, and you don't have to really keep it at home and it's better than having an etf or you know actually doing gold futures where you have to worry about day to day price ma- market movements mark to market payments and it's a lot of confusion there's also a loss if you're really holding it for a long period of time in the futures premium so so all that complication done away with physical gold where uh, you can withdraw at any point of time so i think that's an interesting tool that uh, most people should you know think about because gold is not just a proxy uh, you know to 
uh, I mean, it's a proxy to the dollar. Sure. And it moves up and down uh, with uh, currency markets as well. Okay. Getting back to your website. So what can, you know, so indiacharts.com, what can our listeners find there? So when you go there, you'll find a lot of free content on a daily basis because I keep posting on an ongoing uh, basis what the markets are doing, different asset classes, but not all segments of the uh, website are actually free. So what I do is on a daily basis, routinely, I go through all global markets, which is US commodities, currencies, and I write about them. So I write my analysis. I don't really give buy and sell recommendations, but I share my analysis, which becomes the basis of my decision making, looking at charts and everything else that I'm studying. And so I write about those markets, then I look at Indian equities, I write about Nifty, I do a video, I, uh, so people can actually learn about Elliott Waves, they can understand what my Elliott Wave analysis on Nifty is on a daily basis. Then I write a weekly wind-up of this uh, every Sunday. Okay, I try to do YouTube videos and podcasts so that they are again educational and increase people's knowledge and understanding of the entire global macro and Indian macro, which is which again might go over the head for some people, but you need to improve yeah, your yeah, knowledge, I think, yeah. as far as economic thinking definitely. is concerned. Yeah. And when you hear those, you'll find I always talk about the dollar, which is the center of the universe today in terms of how money is flowing because it gets created in the US and then how does it flow around the world and what does it do? Sure. And lastly, I write an interesting monthly report, which is... Uh, the long shot report. So this is a more a market timing report. It takes a long term view of all the asset classes from Nifty to gold to INR and so on. And it publishes there. The economic winter reports are right not so regularly because uh, economic data does not change on a regular basis. It's yes. like once in a couple of years. I do write a winter update once every month or two months. Uh, but the f- detailed report I last I wrote was in December. And one of the interesting takeaways there, which I should mention because I think a few people get it, Hmm. you know, why debt is a problem. Hmm. The debt to GDP ratio of India is almost, and I'm saying combined government and private sector was almost reaching 160% at that point of time. And I'm sure we may be crossing it. Hmm. Of which the government is around 65%, which means the non-government debt is crossing 100%. This means, uh, includes everything from bank, credit, NBFCs, uh, households, foreign borrowing. When you add all of that up, 100% is a big number. Now you're trying to grow against that wall of debt, you know, it's not happening. and people say, no, debt is not a problem. <laughs> I don't understand how it's not a problem. <laughs> so listeners, you can get all of these details, Rohit's thoughts and everything on his website, indiacharts.com. He's also on Twitter, the same handle? Yes. Indiacharts.com. Uh, Rohit's videos are on YouTube. Rohit also has a podcast. Listen to the podcast, guys. You need to learn about your money and Rohit's. I really say this, you know, people need to have more podcasts. I'm just thrilled to meet a fellow podcast host. It's always so good to meet a fellow podcast host. And that is a wrap on this episode on technical analysis with our guests, Rohit Shivasav of IndiaCharts.com. We discussed the concept of technical, of technical analysis going all the way back to the Elliott Wave. We discussed how you can actually use technical wave within long-term investing. And finally, we discussed the long winter. Game of Thrones special, you can think of it as winter is coming. <laughs> And buy gold and dollar, folks. That's the recommendation of Rohit. And that is a wrap on this episode. Rohit, thank you so much for joining us. It was really good to have you. (laughs) Please continue with your podcast and your YouTubes and all the content that you're distributing. It is so interesting. And thanks to the, I don't know who was that Twitter user. Jovi Thabanda. Thanks (laughs) to that Twitter user who actually introduced the two of us on Twitter and got Rohit onto this show. Folks, that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Vesa on Technical Alliances. I'm your host, Anupam Gupta. If you like this episode, please give us a rating on your app, and reach out to me if you have any feedback, good, bad, ugly, I can take it all. My handle is at P50 on Twitter and the IBM website has a contact section. So send us all your 
love and hate and feedback on that we survive on feedback thank you so much for listening rohit thank you so much for joining us no material on the show should be considered as financial advice the material on the show is for informational purposes only please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision are you looking for india's most awesome cricket podcast are you now tired of listening to the same old guys drone on about cricket everywhere edges and sledges is a weekly cricket podcast hosted by three fans of the game varun dj and myself ashwin It was established in early 2018, has over 60 episodes now, and is of course now proud to be on the IVM Podcast Network. Each week, we get together from three different time zones: the USA, the UK, and Singapore, and we talk about things from the world of cricket with a focus on Indian cricket. We often interview special guests from all around the world, including former cricketers and cricket media personalities. So check out Edges and Sledges, the cricket podcast, now on the IVM Network. Look up in the internet. It's a meme. No, it's a cat video. No, it's the Geek Fruit podcast. That's right. We interrupt this riveting broadcast to tell you about our show, The Geek Fruit Podcast, where Tejas Dinkar and I, Jishnu, talk about everything in pop culture, including DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix, and everything in between. You know how your friends hate it when you ramble about some nerdy crap and you just want somebody to listen to you. Well, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that, but come listen to us ramble and it'll almost be like the real thing. Kind of. Listen to new episodes of the Geek Fruit podcast every Monday and the Geek Fruit Bulletin every Thursday on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the IVM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy listening, you nerds.